0: You're listening to Epitaph. In the 1940s, folklorist Richard Beardsley and Rosalie Hankey cataloged a new type of urban legend, rapidly spreading around the country. The title of their article in California Folklore Quarterly gave the phenomena a name, The Vanishing Hitchhiker. In season one, Epitaph travels the roads of America to investigate the local variations of the Vanishing Hitchhiker legend to discover where these ghost stories intersect with local history and truth. This is Episode 7, Resurrection Mary, Part 2.
1: The story of Resurrection Mary, or at least one version of it, begins at the O. Henry Ballroom. In the 1930s, the O. Henry, located outside the Chicago city limits on Archer Avenue in Willow Springs, was a popular place for big band and swing dancing. The owner, John Verderbar, booked the most popular bands in the Chicago area to play. Names like Count Basie, Guy Lombardo, and Artie Shaw. It wasn't uncommon for a thousand people to be on the dance floor on any given night. One night in the early 30s, Mary and a boyfriend came to the O. Henry to spend the evening drinking and dancing. On their way home, Mary's boyfriend, maybe a little drunk and maybe a little distracted by the beautiful girl he was with, missed a turn, wrecked the car, and Mary was killed. She was buried down the road from the O'Henry at Resurrection Cemetery wearing her favorite party dress, and since then, motorists have seen her trying to catch a ride from the ballrooms on Archer Avenue or dancing on the green grass inside the gates of Resurrection Cemetery. Though reports of strange ghostly women along Archer Road are nearly as old as the road itself, the first published account of a ghostly hitchhiker in Willow Springs came late in May of 1935. 24-year-old William Tankazisha was driving his car through Willow Springs near a cemetery when he saw a woman alongside the road hitchhiking. When he was close enough to realize that she wasn't the average hitchhiker, William swerved sharply, struck a post, and rolled the car. Highway Patrolman Peter Brown responded to the accident, and William explained that he had seen a ghost. William and Officer Brown searched the area and found no trace of the woman, and William was booked on a charge of disorderly conduct. The story, however, was picked up by the Associated Press and ran in newspapers from Baltimore to Salt Lake City. Though Officer Brown was skeptical of William's story, motorists had been telling of a young woman who would appear on the roadway near that cemetery for months. She would try to hitch a ride. Other times, she would become frantic as cars passed her by. Some even reported that she would run toward them across the road, while others said that she would try to hop on the running boards of their vehicles. Everyone described her the exact same way a young woman wearing a light, lavender-colored dress with curly brown hair. Some even recognized her. They were her friends. They'd laughed with her, drank with her, and danced with her just down the road at the O. Henry Ballroom. Her name, they said, was Mary Bergovi, and she'd been dead for weeks. Stefan and Johanna Burgovi had arrived from Czechoslovakia in 1911, married in Chicago shortly thereafter, and Mary was born in April of 1912. Two brothers, Joseph and Stefan Jr., followed. They grew up at 4611 South Damon, in the Back of the Yards neighborhood, and her father worked at a meatpacking plant in the stockyards nearby. She was a very good student, earning averages of 86 and 89 percent in the 7th and 8th grade, which would equate to somewhere around a 3.8 grade point average in modern terms, according to school records from St. Michael's Grammar School. Her best friend was Vern Rutkowski. Vern lived just two houses away. The two young women had grown up together, had attended St. Michael's Grammar School together, and, as they'd gotten older, had gone dancing together all over the southwest side. On the morning of Saturday, March 10th, 1934, Mary and Vern had gone to Goldblatt's department store at 47th and Ashland to shop. There, Mary introduced Vern to John Riker and John Thole. After going for a ride in their car, Vern instantly disliked them. They looked like wild boys, she said, adding that they drove recklessly, speeding down narrow streets and taking corners so fast that it felt like the car was on two wheels. She demanded to be let out of the car, and they dropped her off a few blocks from her home. Mary was planning to go out with them that night, and though Vern says that she urged her to reconsider, Mary couldn't be swayed. You never like anyone I introduce you to, she recalled Mary saying. What she did between dropping Vern off and the accident that would end her life in the early hours of March 11th can be pieced together through recollections of her friends and family and contemporary newspaper articles. Mary's sister-in-law told the Southtown Economist in 1983 that she'd received a letter from one of Mary's friends about her last day, and that Mary had attended a novena at her parish, St. Michael the Archangel, that afternoon before going dancing. She doesn't remember where they were headed that night, but thought that it may have been the O. Henry, referred to in the 1983 article by its modern name, the Willowbrook. The O. Henry Ballroom, Fern said, was Mary's favorite spot. After the O. Henry closed that night, it's believed that Mary, John Thole, John Riker, and a young woman named Virginia Rosansky drove into the city. It's possible that they went to the Loop, where places like the Friars Inn, Ciro's, the Black Hawk, and the Terrace Room at Hotel Morrison were still open to let people dance, drink, and socialize. Wherever they wound up that night, Virginia Rozanski got into an argument with John Thole, and as they got into Thole's car to go home, asked Mary to change seats with her. Thole was speeding along Wacker Drive, coming around a corner at the intersection of Lake Avenue, and whether he was intoxicated, driving recklessly, really did just misjudge the turn in the dark, or some combination thereof. He would later tell police that he hadn't even seen the large metal support structure for the elevated train. The impact sent Mary through the windshield. There was no such thing as tempered safety glass in those days, and the shards of the shattered windshield left a gash that ran from Mary's throat to her right ear. Had she not been killed by the impact, she likely would have died of blood loss before help could arrive. Her body was identified by her mother, Johanna, her brother Joseph, and her friend, Vern Rutkowski. She was buried in Resurrection Cemetery, but her story doesn't end there. John Satala operated the Satala Funeral Chapels at 47th and Damon for more than 60 years. It was just across the street from St. Michael's Grammar School and near St. Michael the Archangel Parish. He had known Mary when she lived in the neighborhood, and he held her funeral. She was a hell of a nice girl, he recalled, very pretty. She was buried in an orchid-colored dress. She died in an auto accident. I remember having to sew up the side of her face. And then, he relayed another story. Not long after Mary was buried there, one of the caretakers from Resurrection Cemetery called him. He said that he had seen a beautiful girl walking the cemetery grounds. A girl with short, curly brunette hair and an orchid-colored dress. And, he said, he was positive that it was the same young woman that John Satala had recently buried. He recognized her as Mary Bruggovy. Mary Bruggovy's name is frequently associated with the Resurrection Mary story and is often quickly dismissed. Because, despite sharing a name and having died in an automobile accident after leaving the O. Henry Ballroom, she simply doesn't fit the description commonly associated with Archer Avenue's hitchhiking spirit. Her hair was short, curly, and brunette, rather than long and blonde. Her dress was a pale orchid, rather than white. And she just doesn't look the part. Mary Burgovi is not THE Resurrection Mary. But, between the sightings by people who knew her, the story of William Tankazish's crash and John Satala's story of the caretaker who identified her as the same girl he'd buried a short time before, I believe that she is certainly a Resurrection Mary. In fact, I believe she's one of at least four different spirits whose stories have become intermingled into a single legend. So then, who are the others? That's a story that'll have to wait for the next episode.
0: You have been listening to Episode 7 Resurrection Mary, Part 2. If you enjoy Epitaph, please take time to rate and review us on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, or wherever you may be listening. Want a place to connect with us or discuss episodes with others? Join our Facebook page and follow us on Twitter at, at @EpitaphPod. If you've got a few extra dollars, please consider joining our Patreon. There, you'll get access to Epitaph The Others, our special subscriber-only bonus show and other exclusive content. Epitaph is an independent bi-weekly podcast. This episode was researched, written, hosted, and produced by Epitaph Podcast. The content of this podcast is copyright Epitaph Incorporated, 2019, all rights reserved.